together in Numbers chapter 20. Numbers, fourth book of the Bible, fourth of five books known as the Pentateuch. Chapter 20. One of these passages, again, that wish never occurred, but in the providence of God, he reveals the, the fall of a leader to caution us. Numbers chapter 20. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. And the timing from, from a passage later in this book and also in Deuteronomy, they're very close to being the 40th year of their wilderness wanderings. They're that close to going into the promised land. And the people abode in Kadesh, literally holy land, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Miriam, you remember, was Moses' oldest, old, older sister. And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. And why have ye brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our cattle should die there. Wherefore have ye made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. And it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord and he was sanctified in them. 
You remember from the 12th chapter of Numbers that Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. And this, I don't believe, was a note that Moses wrote about himself, but it was an editorial note perhaps that Joshua, under inspiration, inserted. Obviously, it was by grace that he was called the meekest man in all the earth. In other words, his strength was under control. He was a man of patience and love and a man of poise. Despite all the trials that he engaged, that he showed the grace of God in his meekness. But as we know, our strengths will be tested by the Lord to to reveal um, our weaknesses, to improve our strengths. What one said, one said of Job, his trials, Job was a good man, but God made him a better man. The Lord always wants us to make us a better believer. Of course, Satan wants to uh, attack the strengths of God's people to mock us and to destroy us. But the Lord wants to certify his grace in us by these tests. And we, we, we test things just before we certify them. Windshields on automobiles are usually tested. Engines. Supposedly those uh, submersibles that go down into the deep are supposed to be tested so that they don't implode. As we know, something happened recently and the complaint was that they weren't tested and certified appropriately. Time and again, Moses passes the test, doesn't he? And we find, the, we find he, he resorts to prayer, to prayer, to prayer. How many times have we written when the people complained and when they attacked Moses and Aaron, that they fell on their faces. They fell on their faces before the Lord. They fell on their faces and prayed. And he does so here. Remember, it's the last, one of the last moments before, it's the the last year, or even very close to the 40th year of their sentence in in the wilderness. They're so close. They'll be able to see the land of Canaan uh, from Mount Pisgah very soon. Moses passes the tests. Sometimes he had righteous indignation. Sometimes he just simply welcomed help or wished others advancement, even beyond his. And often we find him having loving forgiveness and that truth that love covers a multitude of sins. But we will continue to be tested until the end. And so now he, he's tested again by the murmuring of the people and accusing him of misleading them into the wilderness. But he prays again. So what went wrong? The Lord gave him a simple command, just like we read in Exodus 17. Take the rod and approach the rock. You see the difference between Exodus 17 and here. In Exodus 17, he's to smite the rock with the rod. Here, he's simply to walk up to the rock, 
big, and just speak to it. But instead, he speaks to the people in an impromptu speech. Really a diatribe, isn't it? And we read there in verse 10 that Moses lost it, didn't he? Moses had unrighteous indignation as a response to this text. He he calls them rebels. Yes, they were, but that wasn't God's will at this time to castigate the people. God's will was to show them grace and not to bring judgment down. You understand that this is the new generation. These are the people that were under 20, 40 years ago. And so certainly they should have known better. But God is showing them grace by not coming down hard upon them. He's just said to Moses, I'm going to give them water. And as, again, the Bible says that God's goodness leads us to repentance. That was God's intention. But Moses took over and distracted attention away from the Lord and his grace. Here, now, you rebels. You, you could just see the redness in his face and, and the, the anger. Must we notice? Must we fetch you water out of this rock? Now, it is true that the Lord had said, Thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. They would be the means. But it's as if Moses said it's really all about us here, that we, Aaron and I, must fetch you water out of this rock. And instead of speaking to it very calmly, it says that he smote the rock, not once, but twice. And this rock is a picture of the Lord. We just sang... The Lord's our rock, in Him we hide. And you can, Deuteronomy 32, and you have other passages, Christ is called the rock that followed them in the wilderness. So this was very disrespectful of Moses by smiting the rock as if he was smiting the Lord in, a, in, a, in an improper sense, in a... He was told to smite the rock back in Exodus, but that was at the at the command of the Lord. And so I believe we'll see a gospel picture, certainly. But Moses shows disrespect of the Lord, and he also mars the gospel picture by smiting the rock, not once, but twice. So perhaps this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. When... We ask God, Lord, give me a stronger back to take another straw and another straw and another straw. But we know it's an idiom in English, certainly, that the weight limit is finally exceeded and the object falls under pressure. I was a coward as a young man. There were some neighbors up the road that that uh, we didn't appreciate very much and very annoying people. And one day, friends and I, the snow was melting and 
before the darkness hit, he said, let's just throw some snowballs at their picture window. And there were probably six of us. And we kept throwing from the street. It was a good distance, but they kept hitting. And before we know it, we knew it. There was a snowball uh, attached to the window almost in every, every square inch. And I remember someone shouted, let's all shoot one more, and we shoot it together. And so the six of us packed our snowballs and hurled them up the hill at the picture window, and the whole window just crashed inside the house. And just like, just like cockroaches, we all scattered to our houses. And I went into my bedroom and went to bed a little bit early, thinking I would just sleep on it. I heard the phone ring, but I still tried to ignore it. And it wasn't long before my father knocked on my door. And he said, come on out. And he talked to me and he said, you're going to pay the $80 that every one of you are going to pay for this. What a cowardly act that was. But you know, as certified as that picture window was, there was a limit to it. And we, we exceeded the limit. And Moses was having snowballs thrown at him, left and right. They just continued to pummel him with murmuring and complaining and no excuse, but he caved in, just like that picture window. And he distracted the people away from the Lord. So we see the circumstances. You know, it's, it's interesting how the narrator gives us the juxtaposition of the death of Miriam and the fall of Moses. Think about it. His sister dies. He's, Moses is 120 years old. And so that means that Miriam's about 124 years old. But she's been a good sister, a godly sister. Oh, she had her fall too. You remember the Lord gave her gave her uh, leprosy for a week and sent her out of the camp. But even the honor of Miriam, that the people didn't move forward until her, um, her sentence was over. But remember, Miriam was the one that, that God used to save Moses' life when he, Moses was placed in that boat. Remember, back, way back in Exodus, that that. Pharaoh wanted all the Israelites to drown their boys. All the, if a boy was born, drown it in the Nile River. If a girl was born, you can keep her. But Moses' parents sensed that this was a child that God had chosen. Of course, every parent, you might think, would have thought that. Who would want to, to drown their children? I'm sure they were forced. Many were forced to. And some gave in and didn't risk their lives. What would you do if you were told to take your newborn son and drown him in the water? Well, they put him in a boat, a miniature ark like Noah's ark. The same word, ark, used of Noah's ark, but obviously, a, and it, had, it was pitched inside and outside. And, and she put it in, in the... In the uh, the, uh, the river among the, the reeds, the cattails as, as we would know, hoping that 
God would show mercy. And you remember what happens, that the very daughter of Pharaoh comes out to, to take a bath with her maidens, and they see the, the, the uh, boat, little boat, and they take it out of the water, and Moses is crying, and she says, oh, it's, it's a little Hebrew boy. And you remember Miriam, Moses' sister, was watching from a distance to see what would happen. And when they rescued the boat, she went over and she said, do you want me to find a Hebrew mother to nurse it? And she finds her mother, Moses' mother, Miriam's mother. And remember, that, that, that was a tender moment that Moses would have been taught and remembered that my sister was used of God to save my life. But they were very close. What I'm trying to say is that Moses is probably in a, in a little bit of a depression right now. They had just buried his sister. No excuse for his unrighteous anger, but yet you see how the devil would attack us in low times of our lives. When you and I have a sad moment in our life, we lose a loved one or we're sick or we're, we've had a, down, a, a setback of some kind. The devil wants to get in there and kick us. Don't think that on your deathbed that the devil will leave you alone. We need to prepare our hearts for the day that we're, we're, we're going through the River Jordan and to praise the Lord and to resist sin. So, so brief, though. It doesn't say much about the, the, the mourning. It does, at the end of the chapter, you have Aaron passing away. And it says that they mourned for him 30 days. But this was just a very respectful, reverent mention, honorable mention of Miriam's passing. But again, the narrator includes it here that we can understand that Moses had a weak moment. He was at a weak moment in his life. He was shocked and disappointed, certainly at the reaction of the people. He had enough snowballs thrown at him by now. And this was, again, the, the snowball that, that, that put too much pressure on the window, the straw that broke the camel's back. Moses figured, this is a new generation. They should be learning from their fathers and their grandfathers. They've had to bury their parents and their older siblings and their grandparents. There have been many graves in the wilderness in those 40 years. And you'd think that when they didn't have water, that all they need to do is seek the Lord and he'll miraculously, they knew about Exodus 17. Isn't it interesting? Exodus 17 is the first year out of Egypt. And now here's the last year in the, in the wilderness and the, as it were very close to being in Canaan. And so in a sense, they should have expected in the wilderness to be tested with no water. They should have known better. But do we, do we always learn from our parents' mistakes? We're grateful for our parents when they, when they made some wise decisions, but you and I know that there are times our parents didn't make some wise decisions, but how often do we repeat them, don't we? Proverbs 19.25 says, Smite a scorner and the simple will beware. The word simple, the idea is easily influenced and taught. They should have been easily influenced and taught by the smiting of the previous generation. But 
How often we hear, like one man said, what do, what do we learn from history? Nothing at all. <laughs> or how often we repeat history because we fail to learn its lessons. And the sin of Moses is not really primarily his anger here. The Lord, noticed in verse 12, says, because you believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. He didn't say because you were angry or because you, you, that was a sin, no doubt, his unrighteous indignation, but it was his unbelief. Certainly it was his impatience. But think about what rod he was to take. You know, there's there's some some, uh, argument over what, Rod actually Moses took. Verse 8 says, take the rod and gather the assembly together. And so it seems like it's the same rod that he used when he smote the rock back in Exodus 17. But notice it says, Moses, verse 9, took the rod from before the Lord. We should have enough fresh memory to know perhaps it's not that rod. What's the rod before the Lord? Aaron's rod that budded. And so look at the picture. And again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but Aaron's rod that budded and had branches and had flowers and had uh, almonds is a picture of life from the dead. It was a dead stick and it came to life. So Moses reverses the picture. Instead of the the, the stick, the rod that speaks of life and resurrection, he smites it. Jesus doesn't have to die twice. Think of it. Jesus is pictured by the rock. He's smitten. He's struck. He was stricken of God, Isaiah 53, Exodus 17, He doesn't die over again. Jesus doesn't need to die over and over and over again. And that's what the Roman Mass is. He's he's crucified over and over and over again. It's a a mar of the picture of the gospel. Once for all, he died to save sinners. So I I think this rod is not the rod that Moses used earlier. It's the rod that budded. Now, you know, people argue that, well, the main thing is here that, that he, he uh, disobeyed God, and it's true, but there's a gospel picture that's marred here that is the deeper thought. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it shall bring forth its water. So how are people saved today by Jesus dying over and over again? No, speak to him now. What does the Bible say? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not to go to some ritual and see a re-crucifixion of Jesus. He's no longer hanging on a cross. The tomb is empty. The cross is empty. He's no longer crucified. So we call upon a Savior that was crucified and is raised from the dead and ascended to heaven and is coming back again. We are calling upon a Savior who's alive, who's resurrected, 
Mohammed's still dead. So is Buddha. So are all the prophets that people have trusted in for their salvation. Jesus is not just the next prophet. They think that since Mohammed is after Jesus, Mohammed is better than Jesus. That Mohammed is the next prophet after Jesus, so he's better. No, Jesus wasn't just the progressive prophet. He was the fulfillment of all the prophecies, of all the prophets, priests, and kings in the, New, in the Old Testament. It does say in Psalm 106 that they angered Moses. Oh, he had words of frustration when he called them rebels. But his unbelief was the sin that the Lord revealed. You believe me not. You did not in me believe to sanctify me. You see, Moses was to, to just speak to the rock and the power of God would be sensed by the people and nothing about Moses. It would be about the rock that pictured the Lord. It would be about the Lord causing water to gush out from what is it? Underneath the rock? Did, did, did an opening in the rock occur? It was a miracle. Oh, people say, well, there were many, there were many uh, underwater uh, springs, but it was a miracle. The water came from the rock. Granted, we, 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 when, we, when we make wells, often it's, we dig through the rock, but the point is, they didn't dig a well. And a well was not sufficient for a million people. The Lord opened this rock and it was rivers of water. We're talking rivers. We're not talking about one person at a time going up with their, with their uh, cup or even their pitcher. But rivers of water so the animals could drink. I mean as it were, a river formed in front of everybody. Just an amazing miracle. Jesus doesn't just save one person. He saves a million people. A million people today could drink of Christ and be saved. God has such power. All we have to do is preach Christ. It's not about us. It's about Him. And just speak to the Savior. Speak about the Savior and speak to the Savior and he can save a sinner and cause us like those dead sticks to come alive and to bring forth fruit. We got to get out of the way. It's so easy to become frustrated when people aren't believing. We got to be patient. We got to trust the Lord. We were all, weren't we, those of us who know Christ in this room? We were all dead sticks. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. We had no life in us. No interest in the things of God. But the Lord one day just turned our hearts, dropped the scales from our eyes, and gave us a love for the Savior that we didn't produce. Moses may have been thinking, you know, maybe... Why are you blessing them? He may have, this may be also unbelief in God's purpose and God's method. Moses may have concluded they need to be chastened and not blessed. 
But that's not the way with God. God's ways are not our ways. Sometimes we think, well, Lord, you need to chasten when he causes his goodness to lead us to repentance. And there are times we expect his goodness, but he'll chasten. He knows when, what method to use. But he failed to direct the people to God. Must we fetch you water? Bible says whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, do all to the glory of God. It's not about us and our timing. God help us to be patient as he is. He's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any of us should perish, but all of us should come to repentance. How often we cry, Lord, is it a time to lower the boom, to get someone's attention but he doesn't always get the attention of someone by a judgment, but by just simply blessing. His goodness leads us to repentance. You see, they may have been saying, Lord, smite, smite Naaman, the captain of the host of the Syrians, but just go, in, go to the river Jordan and wash and come clean. Just something simple. In Paul's case, the Lord smote him off his high horse. But even then, the goodness of God to not smite him to death and to hell. Moses was guilty. There's no excuse. It's easy to, to mount excuses when we fall, but we just need to say, Lord, I've sinned. Forgive me. Help me. Help me to Take my place behind your providence. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. And the interesting thing is in the, in the morning, they had just prayed. Well, have you ever poured out your heart to the Lord and five minutes later, it's like, I just sensed from prayer such strengthening and help and five minutes later, I've sinned. What do we leave our faith behind in prayer, in the prayer closet? How often has that happened? They fell on their faces and the glory of God appeared, it says. He was a meek man. He was mature and experienced at being targeted. So our, our character is not automatic. We add to our faith virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly love and love, but it's not automatic. We need to pray in the exercise of these characteristics. Remember what Paul warns in 1 Corinthians if any man thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. Paul had that attitude. And sent, the Lord told Paul to get out of Jerusalem because they're not going to receive your testimony. And here was Paul's argument before the Lord. Lord, they all know I was a persecutor. Oh, it's simple. They'll know it's me. Paul the persecutor. They'll receive my witness. Surely. Get out. They're not going to receive your witness. We think something's going to happen because, you know, 
Maybe that was my attitude when I first got saved in West Virginia as a freshman. It was November. Yeah, November. It's November now, isn't it? How many years from 1978 to, to today? That's 45 years ago this month. Might even be today, 45 years. I don't remember which Sunday in November it was. 45 years ago, I got saved listening to the message and went back to the dorm and I was all alone. I remember thinking, now what do I do? And they dropped me off at the dormitory and you walk in, it's eight floors. And get, my thought was, I'm just going to get everybody to come to the middle room. And I thought, this is it. You know, they've seen me for two months. A drinker and a carouser. They've seen me. They're going to receive my testimony. Surely all of them are going to get saved. I knocked on every person's door on the sixth floor of Towers Dormitory. And all those that were there came in, you know, thinking I'm going to tell a dirty joke or something. They're all in that middle room where there was a study and the, and the, uh, the um, elevators were there. And I began to tell them, what is a sinner who's been saved for two hours? I, don't even, I didn't even have a Bible. But I remember just saying, look, I got saved today. The Lord turned my heart. What else can I say? I said maybe five minutes. And I'm thinking everybody's going to say, Lord, save me. Save me too. Let me be converted. I need, to, I need the Lord. But all of them went back to the Steelers. They all went back to their rooms. And I, I think three or four people were around. I was shocked thought, surely, they knew me for two months. I've been there since mid-August, so September, October. I've been here three months. Surely they, they'd accept what happened and want the Lord too. And the only people left were not the ones that wanted to be saved, but wanted to say, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not working this out right. You know, the, 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 the uh, like, like John Bunyan, worldly wise man. man. You've got to do this differently, you know. You can't go for the jugular. And in a sense, it's true that we need to be gentle. I was gentle. I wasn't harassing and, and shoving it down their throat. I was, I was pleading with them to trust the Lord. But we know God has his time. And we need to just give his word and speak to the Lord in prayer and and plead with others to just speak to the rock and he'll give you water. To whom much is given, much is required. He was the leader. And you know, some people think it was harsh. Isn't it harsh that this man that's led the people for 40 years? Isn't it harsh for the Lord just simply not let him lead the people into the promised land? So really what Moses received was the same thing that the men and women 20 years and older received. He did the exact same thing. He didn't honor the Lord. Remember the, 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 the 10 spies said, we can't take the land. And God slew them. And the people said, we can't overcome the Canaanites. They distracted from the power of God. They didn't believe the Lord that he would bring them into the land. And Moses was not believing the Lord. He received the same sentence as the people 20 years and older, 40 years earlier, received. 
forfeiture. See, example is important. Whom he loves, he chastens. Oh, Moses wasn't sent to hell. He was saved by the grace of God, but he, he received the sentence. Now, God was gracious to Moses. We read later that God took him up to Mount Pisgah and let him see the promised land. That was certainly consolation, wasn't it? That was kind of the Lord. Aaron didn't get to see it from Mount Hor. But, you know, there's an in, the fact that he was a leader. God is teaching there are consequences for sin. Think about parenting, parental neglect. Do we ever, do we ever have consequences at times when our children sin? In this case, Moses exalted God's justice over God's grace. We need to have a balance. There are times we need to preach that salvation is the fact that God was just in punishing Christ, but he was gracious to, to spare us. And we need to have a balance. We've got to preach on hell, yes, God's justice, but we also have to preach on heaven, God's grace. In the cross is both heaven and hell. Christ dying for our sins and suffering the wrath of God. But remember, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In in essence, Moses was saying, God, give them wrath, when God was saying, no, give them water. Give them water. Oh, we pray, Lord, save sinners. Save sinners. Give them water today. May many in this world come to Christ and drink the water of eternal life. Do you have the spirit of Moses here? Lord, smite them. Or do you have the spirit, Lord, if it please you, give them water. Spare sinners. You see the Christology in this this event The rock is smitten in Exodus 17. The rock is to be spoken to in Numbers chapter 20. You see the gospel picture? Jesus is the rock. He dies once. But now we call upon him in prayer. We ask for his salvation. We ask for his mercy. Wrath had been pictured in Exodus 17 when he took that rod and what a illustration, he whacked that, that, that stone. That's what happened to Jesus. God's proverbial wrath, the rod, came down hard on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why hast thou forsaken me? But now just approach the rock and talk to him. What should Moses, Moses have done? He and Aaron walk up to the rock with the elders and probably pray, Lord, would you bring water, people? You just speak to the rock and the water would come out and God would receive the glory. There's an interesting thought here. Why did God let the water come out anyway?
He was to speak to it and the water would come out. But he smote it twice. You'd think that God would not have let water come out. Certainly there's application. Number one, we would say grace, that God just God's intent was to supply water for the people and all their beasts, rivers of water. But there is a, a warning to that illustration. Some people think, well, water came out when he smote the rock, so the end justifies the means. There are people who think it doesn't really matter how you get the work accomplished as long as you have the means. Is that, is that true? Water flowed anyway, they say. Pragmatism, the idea of pragmatism is if it works, use it. So that means... If I, if I don't have to work for a living, if I can rob banks and rob people, I get, I get money from robbing people so, so that the end justifies the means. Jonah found a boat that was bound for Tarshish. He thought, well, hey, you know, I don't want to go to Nineveh to preach to heathen. I'm, I'm going to try to get up to the other side of the world. And when he got to the to the the water to the to the bay, there was a boat just heading right where he wanted to go. Remember in Acts chapter 27, Paul said, under God's leading, don't leave this port. I sense that we're going to have real damage to this boat and to our lives. And the Bible says the south wind began to blow. And they thought, oh, that's... That's exactly what we need. And it wasn't long before Euroclidon, literally, it's a hurricane, what do they call it in, in, in the Far East? A typhoon, exactly what the word in Greek in Acts chapter 27. A typhoon hits, and for 14 days they're carried into the Mediterranean. They all thought their lives were over. But Paul had prayed and met with the Lord. An angel met with him, he said, Every single one of us is going to be saved except the boat. And we're going to be cast upon a certain island. You've got to read Acts 27 often. One of the greatest storm stories in, in all of history. God spared 276 people in a typhoon on the Mediterranean Sea. And they made it to a little island of Milita or Malta that was strategic in World War II. Remember King Saul in the Old Testament saved the best sheep. God said, wipe everything out of the city. He thought, I'll save the best for the Lord. It's not... The end justifies the means, even if the means doesn't have a productive end. Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah preached the gospel and they never saw converts. And so the idea is we've got to change our methods. We've got to make worship, public worship, attractive to lost people. And now they're, they're having... They're having uh, 
their surveys. What would you like in a public service? What would it take for you to come to church? If What would we change? Instead, the Bible says we preach the gospel and preach the gospel. If the means doesn't have the end of what we're expecting, God saves sinners. I'm not saying that as if we should never pray and, and, and have and and have means that are that are biblical and godly and appropriate. Speak to the rock and the waters will flow. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But I think there's also another illustration here. Moses was a picture of the law. Joshua was the picture of the gospel. The law cannot get us into the promised land. It's Joshua, the Old Testament name for Jesus. He leads them into the promised land. I think there's a gospel thought there. We cannot be saved by keeping the law. That will not get us into heaven. It's Christ who kept the law, and Jesus, our Joshua, leads us into the promised land. So that's... Indeed, true reason why Moses was not to lead the people into the promised land. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus kept the law for us and died for our sins. And through him we find salvation and eternal life. May we learn from this to always pray. Never trust in our strengths. Pray that our weaknesses would be strengthened and our strength and our strengths might be improved. And pray every day for humility and faith and love and truthfulness. Do you know Jesus? Have you drunk from the, the water that's come from the rock? Have you drunk from the water that's come from Calvary? Did you, have you taken a drink of eternal life? It's still needful as Christians to drink from Christ every day. Every day we need refreshment from the Savior. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, we all would admit that we are not even in the shadow of Moses in our Christian lives who is sufficient for these things. Lord, how patient and long-suffering you've been with, with us, with me. We have not always pointed people to Jesus. We've not always just stood so that people would sense the power of God and just let the word of God be obeyed and, and unleashed. How often we, have we attracted attention to ourselves by our unrighteous anger and our unbelief? So often, Lord, we feel like the decisions that you've made should have been different. Forgive us, Lord. Increase our faith and love for you. Trust in your word and in your providence. Would you save souls, Lord? Would you cause rivers of water to flow from 
the, Cal the cross of Calvary from our Savior, the rock of our salvation. So many, Lord, are, are parched with thirst and they know not that the water is available to them, the waters of eternal life. Hear our prayers and bless your word. May it have free course. In Jesus' name, amen. Closing hymn this morning is Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord, Grace That Is Greater Than All of Our Sin. Hymn number 248. 248.